Lord God, we don't want to go to hell. And we don't want to live in hell. And Lord, hell is that place where people hide from you, terrified of you, and Lord God, you are love and you are truth. And so, Lord God, we're saying, at least with our minds, at least with part of our being, we don't want to live in lies anymore. We don't want to live in darkness anymore. And we don't want to descend into the darkness in the future. We want to be with you. Thank you, Lord God, for revealing that you are good, that your judgment is good, and that the light is good. And, Lord, we confess that um, we don't believe that with all that we are. So, Lord, help us to believe this morning. Help us to surrender to the gospel, the proclamation of who you are. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Uncovering himself before the eyes of all of his parishioners and female parishioners, too, as one of the vulgar fellows who shamelessly uncovers himself. What were you thinking? Well, honey, I, I was just trying to experience the free, outrageous, unrestrained joy of David, the man after God's own heart. And you know, you really ought to just sit down and listen to scripture. You might never get pregnant again. Well, I had, uh, I had the guys just play that for you again because I'm such a good dancer. I mean, really. <laughs> you see my shorts were starting to fall off before the cross. I was, that was bad. No, actually, I played that. This seems really loud, Glenn. Can you turn that down a little bit? Actually, I played that um, because that's how the sermon uh, started last week. I took off my clothes and, and danced and passed out Twinkies and Slim Jims and cakes of raisins. raisins. And this sermon is a continuation of, of that sermon. But, but I, I didn't want to take off my clothes uh, this week and pass out Twinkies and Slim Jims and, and raisin cakes because it just makes me feel kind of awkward. Vulnerable, ridiculous. And, and you know, you, you know, actually, that's the way I usually feel when I preach. Awkward. And yet charged with delivering something absolutely holy. Well, anyway, I danced, my wife scolded me, and then we read our text. Second Samuel chapter 6, verse 12. And it was told King David, the Lord has blessed the household of Obededom. And all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obededom to the city of David with rejoicing. Now, if you've been here the last 
two weeks, you've learned about the ark. God uh, gives Moses the law, the, the Ten Commandments, and then this is weird, but he tells him not to hang it on the wall, not to build a monument and place it on the lawn in front of a courthouse somewhere in Texas. He commands Moses to put it in a box called the ark, covered with a thing called the mercy seat, placed in a sanctuary inside the temple. And no one's to open the box. Isn't that weird? Here's the rules. Put them in the box. Don't open the box. Or even approach the box, except uh, the high priest who sprinkles the blood of sacrifice on the mercy seat, and the blood is life. Moses, here's the law, the knowledge of good and evil. Put it in the box. Don't you dare open it. Cover it with life. The ark was wood. In Hebrew, eights, which is also translated tree. It was tree containing the knowledge of good and evil. And tree covered with life. Guarded by cherubim. And a sword. Ding, 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 ding. The top of the ark was the throne of God. It was a judgment seat called the mercy seat. God was somehow enthroned on this tree of law, which bled life, which is mercy. And from the tree, from the throne, from the mercy seat, God would speak his all-powerful word, the word of God, which Jesus referred to as seed. Anyway, that's the Ark of the Covenant. Next verse. It was told King David, the Lord has blessed the household of Obededim and all that belongs to him because of the Ark of God. So David went and brought up the Ark of God from the house of Obededim to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who bore the Ark of the Lord had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fattened animal. And David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. Now scholars debate exactly what this is. Some think that it was something like a, a loincloth worn by the priests. Others think that it was something more substantial. Whatever the case, it was considered holy. So even if it was underwear, it was holy underwear. Ordained specifically for the Levitical priest, the priest from the tribe of Levi. But check this out. David wasn't a Levite. So what's he doing? If he was a priest, he must have been a priest after the order of Melchizedek. Remember Melchizedek uh, in Genesis 14? Melchizedek means king of righteousness, who is the king of Salem, Jerusalem, before it's an Israelite city. King of righteousness, king of Salem. He meets Abraham in the valley of Shaveh, which probably is Gehenna, meets Abraham in the valley of Gehenna and blesses Abraham with bread and wine. Like a covenant. 500 years before Moses receives the law. Scripture says Jesus is a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. And it appears that David is acting like a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. And like Melchizedek blessed Abraham, David is now blessing the seed of Abraham. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn. As the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michal, the daughter of Saul, remember King Saul, 
looked out of the window and saw David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. By the way, that's the worst place to despise somebody, in your heart. And they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in its place, inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings, which were offerings that just entirely went up to God, and peace offerings, which was like a communal meal with, with the Lord. And when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts and distributed among all the people the whole multitude of Israel, both men and women, a cake of bread, like a Twinkie, a portion of meat, like a Slim Jim, and a cake of raisins to each one. Then all the people departed each to his house, and David returned to bless his household. To bless his house. David offered burnt offerings, and he offered peace offerings. And check this out. Nobody told David that he had to love God like that. It was not required. And nobody told David that he had to love the people like that. It was not required. He didn't have to do it. He, he, he wanted to do it. Love God and love people. Make offerings. You know, check this out. I was really surprised this week to find out that King Saul... You can go back and read this, was rejected by God and lost the kingship in 1 Samuel 13 for doing just what David did. Isn't that weird? Saul takes the place of Samuel the priest making burnt offerings and peace offerings. And so Saul makes the same offering to God, but not because he wants to. He does it because he thinks he has to in order to save himself, save his tail from the Philistines, save himself from death. In fact, he says to Samuel, and I quote, Samuel, I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. Do you ever feel like that? I forced myself, Nick, and made the offering. David worships in gratitude for grace because he wants to. Saul worships to pay for grace because he thinks he has to. And so Saul is using God to save himself. David is debasing himself and starts to dance. Saul is religious. Doesn't dance. Next verse. And David returned to bless his household, but Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, how the king of Israel honored himself today, uncovering himself today before the eyes of his servants and female servants as one of the vulgar fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. And David said to Michal, it was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all his house to appoint me as prince over Israel, the people of the Lord, and I will make merry before the Lord. You know the story, I think. Everyone expected Saul to be king. Scripture says he was the tallest and most handsome man in all of Israel. And God chooses a shepherd boy named David. That's mercy. This is so important. That's the meaning of election. Not deserved favor, but undeserved favor called grace. 
So David says to Michal, and I will make merry before the Lord. The Hebrew, I will make sachach. Sachach means like laughter or, or play, it can be translated play, or even romance, because um, uh, Isaac sachachs with Rebekah, and the king sees her. He makes out with her. He sachachs with her. I will make sachach, like Itzach. That's Isaac, that's where the name comes from. Itzach, meaning he laughs. Check this out. Scripture says, In Isaac shall your seed be called. In Isaac. I, I will make merry before the Lord. I will make myself yet more contemptible than this, and I will be abased in your eyes. The Hebrew is my eyes. The Hebrew is uh, my eyes. Abased in my eyes. You see, for Michal, joy was being exalted in her own eyes. But for David, joy was being abased in his own eyes. Not pride, but humility. You know, proud people make lousy dancers. Did you know that? It's because they cannot hear the music, the music of, of grace. But by the female servants, says David, of whom you have spoken, Michal, by them I shall be held in honor. And Michal, the daughter of Saul, had no child to the day of her death. Now, I want you to listen to me very closely. All sorts of saintly, very righteous women in Scripture lack children and struggle with, with barrenness. But Michal's womb is barren because she despises the bridegroom's dance. Michal is barren of children. And the Bible refers to children as fruit. Michal is barren of fruit. All sorts of people don't have physical children, right? And yet they are profoundly fruitful. I mean, Jesus didn't have physical children while he walked the earth, did he? But he's profoundly fruitful. But maybe, and, and I think this is the point, I want you to think about this this morning. Maybe the way you produce children is the same way that we are to produce fruit. Remember the very first commandment in all of Scripture? Very first. Be fruitful. The idea that sex is the result of the fall is just about the most biblically absurd, insane, and satanic idea that, that I, I think has been perpetrated on, on the face of this. There's a lot of them, but that's one of them. Genesis 1.28, uh, God uh, has made man male and female. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. First command. Jesus said the first and greatest command is this. You will love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and your strength, and you will love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus is quoting Moses in Deuteronomy 6.5 where Moses summarizes the Ten Commandments, but I think he must also be paraphrasing the very first commandment. He says the first commandment saying, I think he's saying, be fruitful and love. I like the same commandment. Romans 13, verse 9, listen to this. Love is, well, you can go read it. Love sums up the commandments. This is the commandment in a word, love. Galatians 5, 22, the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is, is, is love. So be fruitful means have love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faith, 
self-control, which, which I think doesn't really mean so much self-in-control, but self-under-the-control, self-under-the-control of love. You know, law, if you say the New Testament, you discover that law is a description of love. It's, it's a description of fruit. But law can't make you fruitful. Right? It can tell you that you're unfruitful, but it can't make you fruitful. Actually, the law can make you barren if you rely on the law. Not because the law is bad, but because we are bad. And if you rely on the law, you rely on yourself. So the law reveals that you need to be saved from yourself. The law reveals that you need mercy. And mercy is, is love. Poured out. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus expounds the law, saying, when you give, when you love. I love the Sermon on the Mount, because it's like Jesus says, hey, you want to talk about the law? Well, I'll talk about the law. But anyway, he says, when you love, when you give, your right hand shouldn't even know what your left hand is doing. In other words, you shouldn't even be conscious of, of doing it, of obeying the law. You shouldn't even be conscious of it, like a dance. You know, as long as you try to dance, you're really not dancing, right? You've been to dance class, or been to a dance at least. It's when you're no longer thinking about the dance steps, that's when you really start dancing. It's when you lose yourself in the music that you find yourself dancing. Jesus said, you will Love the Lord your God. That's, that's fruit, right? You will love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. As long as I have to think about loving like that, as long as I have to try to love like that, I'm not loving like that. If I have to try to love, it reveals that I don't, want to love, or at least part of me doesn't want to love. Which means I'm not loving with all my heart, all my soul, all my spirit, all my, all my mind, all my strength, which means I'm using love for, for some other reason. I'm making myself love for some other reason, which means I'm not loving love, but using love, abusing love, maybe even raping love. In other words, if I love for a reason, it's not love. And if I obey the law for a reason, I'm not obeying the law. Love has no reason. Or it is the reason. The logos, the word. So if for me love is a law that I must fulfill for some Reason, uh, I abuse love. God is love. I abuse love and I crucify love. I can't love. In fact, I'm already dead. You know, you can read the law as a commandment that you must fulfill. Or you can read it as a promise that God will fulfill in you. Check this out. Moses and Jesus did not say, you know, um, you really should love. You ought to love. You, you better darn well love. 
They didn't say you should love, imperative tense. They said you will love. <laughs> Indicative tense. Jesus the Word said that. Jesus the Word that does not return void said you will love with all your heart. Do, do you believe him? In Genesis 1, God speaks his word and creation happens. In 127, he makes man male and female. In 28, blesses them and says, be fruitful. May 28, 1983. Susan and I entered into a covenant which is a picture of God's covenant. After the ceremony, we drove to this romantic hotel up in Vale. I think it was called the Christiana in the Vale Valley. We had a romantic dinner. We broke bread. We drank wine. Then we retired to the sanctuary of our covenant, the marriage bed. By the grace of God, we had made it to this night, but... For six years, oh, I just, I mean, I just ached for the most intimate of communions with her. I remember she went to the bathroom. She came out wearing nothing but like an ephod, a frilly ephod. And I remember gazing, gazing at her, and then, and then I caught myself and I said, Hey, th this is no time for frivolity, honey. This is no time for playing around. This is no time for debasing ourselves in any way. This moment is holy. This is the moment that we are to sanctify our covenant. This is the moment we choose to obey the very first commandment of God. Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. You read it. Be fruitful. We must produce fruit for so God's sake, Susan. Put something on. Would you just put something on? And turn off that silly music. I mean, we got work to do. We got work to do tonight. We need to make a child. Now, Unfortunately, I had just graduated from the University of Colorado only the week before, and so I was full of it. I mean, I was full of knowledge, and so I got out some of my textbooks. Unfortunately, I brought on her honeymoon, like, you know, psychology and, and, uh, and uh, biology, paleontology. I got out my physics book and my chemistry book. Uh, uh, I got them all out. We looked them. We began working. We used the resources that we seemed to have at hand. We worked and we toiled all night producing fruit, making a child to the glory of God. This is, this is what we made. Right there. We named him Frank. Bronken baby. Now, um, I know he's he's a little disturbing, <laughs> but but he's really the best we could do. I mean, we tried. We, we his head glows in in the dark. Did you know that it's made out of a glow in the dark football? But anyway, he's a little disturbing, but he's the best that that we could do. Bronken baby. Maybe you're familiar with Frankenbaby. Probably seen him around church, leading in worship, preaching the sermons, saying the prayers. Or maybe you've been to a class, like a, a class on how to live the fruitful Christian life, the successful Christian life. 
how to be the Christian that God wants you to be. And then uh, partway through the class, you kind of get this creepy feeling that what they're talking about really is, is Franken baby. Anyway, I guess, I guess I should confess that Susan and I really weren't successful that first night. We failed. So anyway, how can we obey the law? How can we be fruitful? It's interesting in our text that Obededim was fruitful. We just read that he was blessed because of the ark. In First Chronicles, it tells us the form of the blessing. Obededim, I had said this last week, he had 62 sons and grandsons. Not even counting the girls. 62 sons and grandsons. I mean, the old dude was fruitful. How did he do that? All we know is that he put the ark in his barn. And David was fruitful. If it weren't for the seed of David, he wouldn't be here today. Actually, there'd be no here. There'd be no today. There'd be no thing. Nothing at all, if not for the seed of David. But you know, David didn't see his seed come to fruition. That's often the way it is. You, you don't see the fruit. David didn't see uh, the fruit. Uh, he didn't see it come to fruition. That wouldn't happen for a thousand years. So the son of David was nailed to the tree of law in a garden and bled mercy that is life for the entire world. David didn't see that that day. And yet even that day that David danced, he was fruitful. I mean, we read it, right? He loved the Lord with offerings, burnt offerings and peace offerings, and he loved his neighbors with cakes of bread, pieces of meat and cakes of, of, of raisins. So how did he do that? How did he bear fruit? Well, it really wasn't what he did as much as something that was done to him by the ark. David thought he had, had captured the ark. But you remember after Uzzah's death and Obededom's blessing, I think he began to realize he didn't capture the ark, but in fact the ark had captured him. And it stripped him of control, arrogance, pride. It captured him, stripped him, and caused him to dance. The, the law of God covered in the mercy of God, which is the word of God, caused him to dance. The, the word of God, literally the logos of God, the logic of God caused him to dance. But not, not, like, not like a description of music. Not like that. Not like notes on a page that David could read and then choose to obey. No, the, the law was encased in a box covered in life, blood, encased, in, incarnate, in life. A little more like, like that. So the Logos wasn't merely a description of music. The Logos was the music. So David didn't dance because he took knowledge of the notes and decided to obey. David didn't dance because he controlled the music, but because he surrendered control to the music. The, the logos of mercy, the logos of life, uh, covering the law. David didn't control the law. Uh, David didn't uh, control the logos. Uh, the logos controlled David. David didn't make the music. The music made David. 
David didn't animate the mercy. The mercy animated David. The logos incarnos that then incarnated David. You know, I don't think he even knew what his right hand was doing. I don't think he was conscious of it. I don't think he debated, oh, gee, should I, should I dance? Well, part of me kind of doesn't want to dance. Well, I kind of do want to dance. I don't, think he, I don't think he debated. I don't think he was half-hearted about that. I don't think he, he debated, should I dance, should I not? I don't think he calculated. Oh, I know, I'll give, I'll give about 10% of my Slim Jims, my Twinkies, and my Cakes of Raisins, and mm, oh, one oxen and two pigeons. That ought to do it. That ought to do it. That ought to, that ought to cover it. No, he didn't control himself. For he had lost himself in the dance and was being controlled by the music, the word, the logos, mercy. And David fulfilled the law. I think he fulfilled the law that day. Or I should say the law was fulfilled in David. David danced as the king of Israel before the throne of God. He danced representing the bride of God, representing Israel before God, before her groom. And he was impregnated with life. And then he went home as the groom to dance before his bride, and Michal despised his dance. What do you think she said? I bet she said something like, David, you look like a, a putz. Naked, awkward, vulnerable. David, don't be such a, don't act like a, you look like a. Another word. And Michal had no child to the day of her death. Why? Well, isn't it obvious? She would not receive the seed of David. Hey, do you remember who did receive the seed of David? I preached about her a few weeks ago. She's the great, 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 super great, 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 great grandmother of Jesus. Gal named Bathsheba. Think Bathsheba valued mercy? You think she longed for mercy? Do you think she welcomed mercy? Loved grace? Received grace? You know, once her husband had been stripped of his dignity, and she likewise stripped of her dignity, once they repented, once one child died, you remember the story, David worshipped before the ark in the sanctuary with tears, and then scripture says that he came in and comforted Bathsheba, and she received his comfort and was impregnated with Solomon. Prince of Peace. Well, anyway, Bathsheba received the seed of David, and Michal must have despised the seed of David, so never bore fruit, never obeyed the law. So anyway, what's the seed of David, and how can we fulfill or obey the law? How can we do it? Well, you know, the story of the Old Testament really is that we can't 
do it. Joshua 24, 19, you are not able. Psalm 14, none is righteous, no, not one. None seeks for God. None does it. Uh, we can't do it. And yet there's this amazing, fascinating verse in Deuteronomy where God says, you can do it. Deuteronomy 29, chapter 29 through 34, uh, this is an amazing section of scripture. Moses speaks to Israel before they enter the promised land. It's his last words to Israel before they enter the land. And in 29, 15, through Moses, God says this. I love the way um, the, the Bible speaks, the way God gives a crack up to me. But anyway, he says, the covenant is for whoever is standing with us here today and whoever is not standing with us here today. <laughs> You think about that. I think my calculations is that pretty much includes you, pretty much includes me, right? And he tells them that if they fail to obey the law, they'll perish. And then he tells them that they will fail to obey the law. And then he tells them that he'll find them and fix their hearts so that they will love him with all their hearts, that is, obey the law. And then he says this, for this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you. Neither is it far off. It's not in heaven that you should say who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. But the word is very near you. Remember, he's speaking, what, thousands of years ago to Israelites in the desert. The word is very near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. What the heck is that word? What's the commandment? We don't have to climb and work up to heaven in order to get it. We don't have to dig down into the depths of the abyss to bring it up. The law brings death, but this word is life. What word? Well, no one knew for 1,500 years. Until a little old Jewish guy, Rabbi Saul, St. Paul is what you call him, wrote the following. It's Romans chapter 10, verse 5. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandment shall live in them. Does the commandment shall live in them, shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith, or the righteousness that, that is faith, uh, says, and, and now he quotes Deuteronomy, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven. That is to bring Christ down. You hear what he just said? He just equated the commandment with Christ. Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven. That is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the abyss. That is to bring Christ up from the dead. He's already risen from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. In your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim, that we preach, that we announce. Now, I hope you go back and study this, um, but Scripture equates the commandment with Christ, and Christ with the word, and the word with faith. That is, it equates Christ with faith, faith in our hearts, and faith 
on our tongues. Check this out. Jesus said, Jesus the Word said that the Word is seed. We all know that Jesus is the promised seed, right? And we all know that he's the seed of Abraham. And scripture says that he's the seed of David. In Greek, you can't miss it. He's the sperma of David. And so now look, if you're not getting this, let me make it clear in case the lights haven't come on for you. The only way to obey the law, which is to produce fruit, is to be actually impregnated with the life of Christ. And this is the point. The process for getting pregnant is vastly different than the process or the manner in which most people go about trying to Obey laws. You see, one is seizing control. And the other is just the opposite. It's surrendering control. One is judging. Making decisions, right? And the other is allowing yourself to be judged. One is getting dressed, and one is getting undressed. One is arrogance, and the other is humility. One is taking knowledge, and one is allowing yourself to be known. One looks like a, a, a march, a mechanical military march. The other is a dance. One is the work of the flesh. The other is fruit of the Spirit. One is work, and the other is play. One is work, and the other is worship. One is the barrenness of Michal, and the other is the dance of David. So, Bride of Christ, do you see why Satan works so hard to distort your view of sexuality? Do you understand why he works so incredibly hard to distort our view of sexuality? And do you see why God is so concerned that our sexuality be bound by a covenant and celebrated as a sacrament, a communion of love bearing fruit that is love? I think we live easily in one of the most sexually depraved, and sexually repressed societies that has ever existed. Repressed. I mean, our hearts are repressed. Maybe our minds are repressed too, but, I, but I'm sure our hearts are repressed, for we no longer seem to be aware of where fruit comes from. <laughs> you know, in biblical societies, there really was no such thing as pornography, and, and yet every little kid knew where baby goats and baby sheep and baby people came from. I mean, if, if you lived in that kind of society, you were maybe one person in the, uh, living in a room packed with ten people on a farm that raised animals. Uh, no one needed to give you the talk. Know what I mean? But in our society, you will never see this magazine on a magazine rack next to this magazine. And that tells you something. So in our depravity and the stupidity of modernity, because I think modernity really is stupid, in our depravity and the stupidity of modernity, we modern Christians seem to have forgotten what fruit is, where it comes from. And what that means for daily living. Fruit is life. And so fruit of the Spirit is not a work of the flesh. That means that you cannot simply 
choose to get pregnant all by yourself. Didn't know if you knew that. But you can't simply choose to bear fruit. You can't simply choose to be a Christian. You have to be chosen. You can't simply do it all by yourself. You can't simply choose to have faith, for faith is fruit. You can't simply choose to produce fruit. Be, be pregnant with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faith, and control of self. Fruit, fruit, now get this, fruit is a good choice. Obedience is a good choice. That's true, but it's not, um, it's not your choice. If you make that choice, you must realize it's, it's not actually your choice. It's God's choice being born in you. In other words, his judgment being born in you. His will being born in you. His word being birthed in you. His life being birthed in you. His spirit crying, Abba, Father, from within you. It's Christ in you. We're saved by grace through faith. And this faith not of ourselves, lest any man, anyone should boast. Faith in us is the faithfulness of Christ within us. And so as soon as I take credit for faith, it's not faith. What is it? It's frankenfaith. As soon as I take credit for faith, it's not faith, it's frankenfaith. As soon as I take credit for love, oh man, I fulfill, I'm a good lover, dang, I'm, I'm something. As soon as I take credit for love, it's not love. Franken-love. As soon as I take credit for fruit, it's not fruit, it's franken-fruit. And the real fruit dies. As soon as I take pride in fruit, claiming as my own, what do I do? I pick the fruit, pick it from the tree. I take Christ's life on the tree. I take him and claim him as my private possession. I crucify Christ and make myself an antichrist, an imitation Christ, a frunken Christ, a frunken Christian. But as soon as I surrender my life, he gives his life on the tree. Body broken, blood shed. It's no longer I that live, but Christ who lives in me. Fruit in me, fruit on me. Uh, life just hanging off of me like a, like a tree of life, a tree of his life, his tree. That's me, not a frunk in me, but a new me, a free me. I turned 50 this summer. I'm an old dude that reflects on his life now. And I realize that all my work, life, I've, I've worked really, really hard to produce fruit. Graduated Phi Beta Kappa with a geology degree I never used. Worked crazy long, really hard hours building, building a, a, a church that blew up. <laughs> Struggled to write two books that are out of print. Toiled, struggled, and sweat making 
Frunken babies. And yet looking back, hands down, by far and away, this is an easy, easy, easy uh, decision, easy judgment. The greatest fruit, the greatest tangible physical fruit is that, that, that I have ever produced is this. That's, that's my fruit. John's down working with the junior hires. Elizabeth and Becky studying uh, there up at CSU. Coleman's off on a Catholic weekend retreat, I think, with his girlfriend or something like that. But, but that's my fruit. Now, except for the fact that they're a little harder to control and rather expensive, every one of them, each one of them, is vastly superior to Frankenbaby. Each one. Greatest thing I ever made. I mean, I, I seriously just cannot imagine a universe without them. Greatest thing I ever made. Yet this is the really weird thing. <laughs> I don't exactly remember making them. Actually, I didn't really even have to make myself try to make them. I didn't really even try to make them. And this is amazing. For five years, Susan and I did try to make a baby. And we couldn't seem to make a baby. And so one day, I remember, especially for Susan, this was a decision on Susan's part, we just gave up on making babies and made love. And look what happened! <laughs> I mean, we would just like, well, this is all we do, we just get naked, do a little dance, make a little love. But to be honest with you, we really didn't make love. I mean, maybe that's where we get it wrong. We really didn't make love. God is love. You can't make love. Love made us. We didn't make Jonathan, Elizabeth, Becky, and Coleman. Love made Jonathan, Elizabeth, Becky, and Coleman. And check this out. He used us, incarnate, in, in us. But if I think I make them, even now, if I think I make them, you know what I do? I kill them. Love makes them. And love uses me to make him. Incarnate in me. Like an Ark of the Covenant. Incarnate in me and now in, incarnate in them. Now, now I said, and I want you to hear this very, very well. They are the greatest tangible physical fruit that I've ever produced. They're physical fruit. Laced with real fruit, spiritual fruit. So whether or not you have children, all Christians bear fruit. Jesus was single. Does he bear fruit? Oh, yeah. He bears fruit. Uh, you bear fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faith, control of self. You bear fruit in your life and you bear fruit in other people's lives, the lives of people around you. Not just books, but faith, hope, and love in, in yourself and in other people's hearts. Not just church buildings, but communions of of love, communions of faith. That's the real church, friendships. You have borne fruit, however you may not know when and where it happened. Like David, that's because you were lost in a dance. And so on judgment day, Jesus will say something like this to you in the phone. Hey, um, from the throne, he'll say, hey, thanks, you gave me Twinkies, Slim Jims, and, and Raisin Cakes. Enter my kingdom. <laughs> and you'll say, ah, 
I don't remember giving you Twinkies, Slim Jims, and Raisin Cakes. Because you were dancing. You may not remember the fruit, but you may remember sowing seed. You know, you bore fruit, and fruit is, is more seed. You may not remember the fruit, but you may remember sowing seed. You may remember feeling at times a bit naked, a bit awkward, a bit exposed. Mikal will point that out to you. You may remember feeling at times like, like a pots, like a, you know. Well, that's how seed even eternal seed delivered. And check this out. It's implanted in broken, fertile soil. And so producing fruit is, well, it's a joyful business. But it's not a respectable business. Like earning a degree. Or ruling as queen. Or acquiring the honor of a Pharisee, pastor. Producing fruit is mess and miracle. It's life. So how do we bear fruit? Well, you stop trying to bear fruit. And you worship the author of fruit. Uh, how do we bear fruit? Well, we can't really make a, a formula out of it that we can simply manipulate. We can't make a formula out of it, but if we take our cue from David, it will look something like this. Number one, we'll stand before the Ark of the Covenant, the judgment of God. The tree of the law, drenched in the blood, that's life. We'll stand before Jesus Christ and him crucified for the sins of the world. We'll stand before the Lord of the dance. You see, he was stripped first, wasn't he? And he danced first. He loved first. He abased himself first, awkward, vulnerable, exposed. We stand before him in the sanctuary. And number two, we allow him to strip us. Of what? Arrogance. Pride. Big leaves. And number three, we receive his word. The word of mercy. That he took the bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body given to you. Take and eat. And in the same manner after supper, he took the cup and he said, this is the covenant in my, the covenant, my bride. This is the covenant poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Drink it, my bride. My body, my blood, the covenant, my word. This is my covenant. This is my judgment. This is the word has it covenant love I have loved you with everything I am and I will never stop loving you you are my body you are my bride and number four we ingest that word as it is implanted in the broken, fertile soil of our hearts. And then, if you feel like dancing, 
Just go with it. Just go with it. Amen? Let's worship. Tear off a piece of the bread, dip it in the cup. Dark cup is wine, light cups are juice. They're both the covenant of God, the judgment of God, and the word of God given to you. Seed. we say we are yours and we surrender ourselves to you because we see that you're good and so Lord God we thank you that you became flesh and you danced upon this earth before us romancing us that we would surrender to life and bear the fruit that is life Lord God thank you that you are good in Jesus name the Spirit and the Bride, they say, Come, Lord Jesus, for you are good. Amen. Now, before you go, let me say that I talked about sex this morning. Did you notice that? <laughs> and even, even while I'm preaching, I'm like, Oh, my gosh, I can't believe this. But uh, we're so messed up sexually as a culture. And everyone in this room is broken sexually. But this is what I would encourage you. Don't be offended. Don't cover up before, before the Lord, but surrender to the Lord. Because in all of these things, you see, he is telling a beautiful story. We are his bride, and he loves us no matter what. And so we have members of our prayer uh, ministry team down front here. This is Jolene. She's also a, a counselor, okay? And this is Biff, and he's our sexton. I don't know what that means. It means takes care of the building. Uh, <laughs> that was really bad, okay? So just, just like erase that from your memory. But anyway, what I'm saying is that don't, don't, don't run from God in shame. Surrender to God and believe that he's good. And he's in the process of speaking life into, into you. And you see, this really is good news. Because if I'm honest, what I really think that God wants most of the time is this. I think he wants me to go manufacture Frankenbaby. And I just fail at it. I just can't, I just can't do it. And, and what the devil wants you to do at that point is to cover up and run in shame. And what Jesus wants you to do at that point is to surrender and worship. And he does it. He speaks his life into your heart. And you begin to dance. Love is a dance. Heaven is a dance. That's where you're going. He said, you will love me with all your heart that means when you get there you're not gonna be like oh gee should I love him I don't know I'd kind of rather go swimming or something but no you will love me with all your heart all your mind all your soul all your strength you will love me in freedom that's good news believe the gospel and you can start dancing even today amen hey there I hope the message that you just heard or viewed helped you to believe a little more that God is better than you thought, the love of Jesus is deeper than you know, and the Spirit is everywhere working the wonders of mercy. If that's so, I'd love it if you would consider two things. Number one, ask yourself if there's someone that you know that might benefit from this message, and then uh, forward this link onto them. There are several ways that you can do that, 
by visiting our website at thesanctuarydowntown.org. Secondly, I'd love it if you'd uh, take just a moment and uh, ask the Lord if He'd like you to contribute to this endeavor financially. We really can't do this except for the fact that God inspires people like you um, to give. And uh, you can do that by uh, going to the website and clicking on uh, the donate button or uh, by simply mailing a check to the sanctuary downtown at uh, 2215 West 30th Avenue, Denver, Colorado 80211. Uh, thanks for being a part of what we're doing and God bless you.